Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of Economics Happy Hour. My name's Matt. And I'm Jadrian. Uh, thrilled to be here with you this afternoon. How are you doing today, Jadrian? It's been a very long day. Uh, we are recording this the uh, Monday after the big bank rush, uh, bank run. And so as two economists, even though we're not macroeconomists, uh, I, I, I'm going to speak for you, Matt. <laughs> I spent like the entire weekend watching this, seeing what's happening, learning about the FDIC. Uh, so I'm a little tired, but in a, in a tired in a good way. Yeah, I, I probably spent way less time than most. And I know I spent less time than you. I didn't come up with a writing. <laughs> uh, we And for the audience, we talked a little bit about should we do this on the bank run and what just happened. Our fear is by the time this comes out, there'll be 14 new revelations that make this outdated. And so we decided we decided against it. But it is pretty fascinating to see it happening, right? I don't know, like, yeah. the stakes are high. So it's fascinating might might not share oh, the concern for those yes, who are right. losing deposits but but from a perspective right you teach bank runs and then to see it happen is is it is interesting you know what this reminded me of um i think we talked about this maybe before in a previous episode but during the pandemic in that i think april or may uh i was teaching classes and like in the moment you're like we're in a recession when we i think it was our recession yep. episode we're like yes it's not officially a recession yet, but like, you know, it's a recession. And so I think it's just very weird to be like in the moment observing something that you teach about and then realizing like, oh, we just got to give this enough time and this will get in our textbooks. And then, you know, if I ever have to teach principles of macro, I'd be like, I I remember where I was during yes. the bank run of 2023. Um, so yeah, it's neat from an academic historical yep. perspective, especially as an econ lover. Uh, but I feel for the people who are going through sure. the, the stress related to uh, to all of that. Yeah, and I've I've often thought one way. If you're an individual, you know, and I'm not in the, this spot, but one key thing for diversification is don't don't ever have more than a quarter million in any given bank, yes. right? But <laughs> I mean, institutions, a lot of them don't have mm-hmm. it. They can't have a hundred different bank mm-hmm. accounts. There uh, are companies that'll do it for you. <laughs> okay. Well, then maybe there are companies should. that'll split up your bank accounts uh, yeah. so that you don't do it. Um, um, now, if the ba- if the yeah. Federal Reserve, if the uh, U.S. government's just going to keep insuring no matter what, which at the current moment, and once again, this could be outdated by the time people see it. At the current, currently, it appears the U.S. government will be doing that. It mm-hmm. um, then maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. We will see. So uh, if this comes out in the next two weeks, three weeks, we'll be able to look back at this and say, well, let's see what's changed. We have a recording of what has happened over the two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So So, Matt, what are you drinking today? I am drinking something I've never tried before. I don't think. Um, And I don't even have my phone here, so I can't check. Uh, Hazy Bones, Hazy IPA. It is from uh, Flying Fish. I have a Hazy IPA downstairs. I should have got that one instead. Uh, Uh, How about yourself? What are you drinking? Um, it is called the Majestic Mullet Crispy Kolsch by Parkway Brewery. And since I've only been drinking Virginia beers on this show, Salem, Virginia. Okay. So I make sure okay. relatively a, local. This is a New Jersey beer, which uh, a lot Flying of our fish is good. from New Jersey. Flying Fish, it's a good, good it's company. A good so, well, cheers before we start. So. Cheers. I got my, here we go. I'm drinking today out of my, uh, what am I? Uh, the Stone Buena, Buena Vesa Salt and Lime Lager. Uh, yeah. 
So I, I think I've told you this before. I, I collect pint glasses as uh, I, I collected pint glasses until I got too many pint glasses and I go, I got to stop collecting pint glasses. That's also how I collect coffee cups for a while. Yeah. Um, but what's fun is I remember where I get all of my, uh, my glasses. I, I have t- sweet memories tied to this. Uh, it was the AEA that was in San Diego three years ago, four okay. years ago, 2019. Um, I went drinking with Doug Norton, who's at Florida State, yep. Yep. and Mike Coon, Coons, yep. who's at Tampa. Uh, and we just did our own little bar crawl around San Diego until our oh. flights left. So we went to the Stone Brewery, and I loved yeah. this logo so much. That's, I was like, I'm going to get, cool. a, I'm cool gonna get this pint glass. So it's March when we're recording this, and it will drop um, – on the round the sweet 16 round of the ncaa men's basketball tournament on the, on the thursday of the sweet 16 round so we decided let's talk a little bit about the economic implications of the name image likeness nil mm-hmm. rules for college sports and jadrian i know that you have taught sports economics so the idea of paying athletes for for many years it's i'm sure something you taught about like and yeah. it didn't happen and yeah. now there's this switch where it's not really being paid by the universities but but almost kind of and then yeah. people can raise money so do you want to give a little bit of a description yeah of and what the nil allows first of all for those who might not know and i'll tell you how much i love this as because um so i'm teaching sports econ for the first time now the last time i taught it was almost a decade ago like nine years ago and I absolutely love seeing my notes from nine years ago versus my notes today. Like I had a whole chapter on should college athletes be paid? Like yeah. I have videos about, um, you know, about name image likeness when it was coming up. Cause it was before like the O'Bannon lawsuit and all sorts of stuff. So now that I'm actually here, it's really fun. So, okay. Uh, paying college athletes is very interesting because it, I think it depends on who you talk to. So name image likeness is essentially that athletes at universities can get paid for their name, image, or anything that looks like them. Uh, But there are some caveats on that. So, you know, I can, like, if I was a student athlete, I could, you know, I could represent my local car dealer and they could say, Jadrian Wooten is a professor, you know, come on down and uh, come buy a car, the Jadrian Wooten special. They can do that. They could, they could, I could sell my name to them, but I couldn't sell my name attached to the university. And that's where it gets really interesting. So there are a lot of limits on name image likeness. So a, a student athlete can't advertise with their school jersey on for the car dealership. They can advertise like in the same colors where it looks like it, but they can't have like sure. the university name across the front. So athletes can can kind of get paid. Um, you know, the big things, it's the big athletes are getting paid for autographs now. So if they want to pay somebody to do a, a signing thing, sure. you know, you're, you're a big a big quarterback somewhere, you can sign stuff. A lot of smaller, I don't want to say smaller athletes, but athletes that are not as prominent, they're getting kind of local deals, hometown deals. Um, but it's, you know, it's a step in the right direction. It's, you know, but the hard part is you, you have, as the NCAA, you have to kind of, monitor it and that's they're never they've never been good at that sort of stuff so there's still a lot of weirdness around it yeah it's 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 still reasonably new and then Mm -hmm. with covid i think a lot of people are figuring it out the other thing i understand is with nil it opens up the doors on other sources of income so right Mm -hmm. you have i i know there's a gymnast who has a massive um influencer following yeah and is able to earn money based on that that wasn't 
you know, basically not restricted from earning money uh, like before. And no, then great. it seems like there are cases where donors for schools essentially says, if say, if you come here, you will get this and I we will give you this NIL deal. Yeah. So that's where the legislation and the regular like that's where it's on the gray fuzzy side. Um, so, right. There's yeah, there's autograph signing stuff. But like if you're a tennis player um, before you couldn't host a tennis academy. So you couldn't have like a, you know, go help high school players get better at tennis and use your name. Like they wouldn't let you do that, but now you can. So like those sorts of things are great for gymnasts, golfers, tennis, people that are running camps for kids. They can now essentially sell their name as a college athlete, come get tennis lessons or golf lessons from me. The donor part is where it gets really interesting. Um, Yeah, there's like a, it's the NCAA, right? So like. I feel like uh, anything to deal with college athletics, they have such a a nuance of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. It's like the old the, the old famous example. You couldn't feed athletes above a certain value. So it was things like, did they have two meatballs on the plate or three meatballs? Like three was a violation and two was okay. But it was like that sort of pedantic that would get people in trouble. That's what's happening with the booster part because – you can, um, in the recruitment portion of it, and th- I think likely there's a lawsuit coming out soon. So this happened at the University of Miami not too long ago. Um, they were trying to recruit athletes from to transfer from another school. And essentially one of the boosters was like, hey, come here and you know we'll get you XYZ uh, NIL deal. We'll give you this much money. But that's not allowed. So you can't have a booster saying it, but you could have a coach saying, if you come here, it's likely that we can set you up with, you know, it's about like who's saying it at the end of the day is the same thing's happening, but the NCAA is so picky about who's allowed to say it and do it and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And you said it's a step in the right direction. I believe so. And and I, I, I would, I believe so as well. Let's, um, you know, when I, when I teach it, I try to, Give okay. Let's let's go through the arguments. I'll I'll tell you where I stand, but I'll give both sides. So, what what do you think were the either the best? Well, why don't we say both the best and sure. the most prominent defenses for not being able to pay college mm-hmm. athletes? I mean, one one the common defense that I don't think was a very good one is you're already getting a scholarship, so mm-hmm. therefore you don't need to be paid. Which is actually true at some schools, but it's not true at others. Susquehanna, there aren't academic scholarships. So it's not true. It's not always true, right? Exactly. So there are a handful of sports. So basketball, football, and there's a couple of sports that have full scholarships, but there's a lot of, a lot of athletes only get partial scholarships. So they may only be getting a 10th of a scholarship, a quarter of a scholarship, a fifth. Um, And so like, those are the sorts of things where, you know, if, if I, if I were a student going to school on a partial academic scholarship, I could get a job and work and make money and pay for the rest of my school. But, you know, previous to NIL, you had these, like, I mean, I'll pick your gymnast as a perfect example. A gymnast wouldn't have had a full scholar. They like, well, they might have, but there would have been somebody who has like a half scholarship yeah. and then they're still having to cover that other half. But we were basically saying, no, you can't go make money off of what you're good at. Like you're a gymnast, you can run gym camps, but like, no, you got to go work at Subway. And like that, that's where it made me uncomfortable. Um <laughs> You know, we we let students do it. If you've got a full academic ride at a university, we don't prohibit you from going out and getting um going out and getting an internship in the summer and saying, you know, you're this elite scholar from a university. 
We let you advertise your affiliation with the university regularly as a student, um, even if you're on an academic scholarship. So like that was always my sort of take. I would say the argument against it, and I would say the, the best argument against paying athletes that I would say is they have access to more resources that other students don't. So I would say it's the implicit benefits that they get. So they have access to, you know, personalized gyms that are much better than the other gyms on campus. They have specialized tutoring centers. Uh, you know, they're getting travel accommodate, like they're getting other non-pecuniary benefits. They're already getting benefits and yeah, they just I, exacerbate the college student inequality. I that to me, that would probably be the biggest one, right? They get okay. kind of specialized attention from advisors, trainers. All right. Like a normal per sure. a normal student doesn't have a personal trainer to help them manage their diet. You know, they're getting counseling services. Uh, a lot of athletics departments have sports psychologists on their rosters. They're getting tutoring services, sometimes tutoring legit surgery. tutoring. And of mm-hmm. course we've heard the scandals of <laughs> yeah. not so legit tutoring, but yeah. So I, I would say, you know, there are, they're getting benefits that a lot of other students aren't from an okay. purely academic standpoint. That's and the so- best. Yeah, that's that's my best argument against paying them, but I'm on the side of paying them. I think the best one that that I heard, and once again, I I I didn't. It caused me to think a little bit, at least, which is you know, if it's a good argument against. um, It was actually by um, former president. I'll give a shout out to Jay Lemons at Susquehanna University, who once was the head of the NCAA. So you can imagine where he stood on all of this. He he had to toe the line, and yeah. um, But he um, he mentioned. We already have sports where people are paid. Mm-hmm. The NCAA is premier level sports where people aren't paid. And if you start to pay, you change the dynamic of that. And once again, I, I don't think it, it caused me to think I hadn't thought yeah. about it that way. It was, but I, I, that was a, an argument that was, it was kind of tough to counter when you think about that. I mean, I, I would, and I, I can, and I think we yeah. will in about one minute when we start to argue why we think it's okay. But I thought that was an intriguing one. So the why then? So what are the drawbacks of restricting college athletes to be paid? I mean, we talked about some of the if you're on a partial scholarship, what are some of the other drawbacks that you see in this? I think about I think about those partial scholarships. I think about somebody. You know, you're going to school. (laughs) <laughs> there there are cheap schools and then there's not cheap schools, right? Like we always have this argument about, you know, how much does like a, a real liberal arts college make you pay, right? The sticker price versus yeah. Oh, yeah. what you, you know, real cost of attendance. But I, you know, I look at some of these state schools and I mean, there's a lot of athletes who realistically wouldn't qualify for an academic scholarship. Um, but yeah. then you're asking them to pay uh, tens of thousands of dollars. I think yeah. beyond the cost part, I would say the, the second biggest drawback um, is the, amount of potential injuries that these people are are potentially going to have, uh, I think is worth. And they're not being compensated and they're not being compensated. And there, and you know, there's a, there's a very good chance you can get injured and then not have your scholarship renewed. I mean, we see it in, especially in football a lot, right? We see the people who are just paralyzed neck down. Um, They're paying. And I mean, a few thousand dollars a month is not going to necessarily make that better. Um, but I think it helps. I, I think it, it it sends a message that like there is funding for what you're doing. You're not just like uh, you're not just putting yourself on the line for nothing. So especially when I think about 
you know, people in tennis and in golf, I, I think about those when we typically don't think, oh, you're not going to get injured, but like you can get hit with a golf ball. Like oh. there's, yeah, there's yeah. people get injured all the time. Well, and repetitive stress injury, repetitive and, stress and, and tear out a blow out a knee or whatever. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm not sure that the money's going to make up for whatever. No, no, well, no, I wouldn't, it but I mean, if you're, no, if you hurt yourself, definitely. But some not. of these people are, are paying money to go to school and then they get injured. It's like a double yeah. whammy uh, yeah. for those people. For me, I mean, there's one key thing is just yeah, I'm generally pretty libertarian at heart. Mm-hmm. And if a school, and this is beyond NIL, but just thinking about paying athletes, if a school was willing to pay somebody because they thought this athlete would bring in revenue for the program and the athlete was willing to take it, I don't want I don't want a government saying no to that. So there, there, I mean, there, in some ways, it's like the freedom aspect of it. Yeah. That That's one issue i had and then two related to that if if you restrict it it causes a lot of weird side effects i always would cover and i'm curious what your notes would have covered that when we covered when there when athletes couldn't be paid at all what types of side effects would you expect to see mm-hmm. you know like so imagine okay we have a market and the market would indicate that some a first round nfl draft pick might be worth um, half a million dollars per year to a program Mm -hmm. and they can't pay them money. So what else can they do to try to recruit? They have to try to pay them in some other way. You're going to make me look up my slides. So I'm going to let me look, let me look up my slides for price ceilings. And, uh, and that way I can have the list of, uh, of the, predictable side effects of price ceiling. So the obvious one, right, is black markets. And and that's what happened pre-NIL. And I think that's why the NCAA stepped in and said, fine, start paying them. It's fine. Right. So black market, like people were getting paid that they athletes have always been getting paid um, under the table at different universities. Um, This just at least brings some of it up, uh, up to the top. So at least in my class, whenever, when, Paying athletes was illegal back a decade ago. I used to show them the ESPN 30 for 30 uh, episode. Did you ever see Pony Excess? Uh, Pony Express, but it would be, but I haven't seen no, it. This po- was called Pony Excess. Oh, about the Pony but it's Express. About, yeah, Sorry. So it's Pony Excess about the Pony uh, Express. About SMU. I didn't, mm-hmm. I know about the uh, SMU story. I, I might yes. have seen it, but I don't, not 100% with that. Eric Dickerson and mm-hmm. Craig James and all of those. It is worth it's worth purchasing. Okay. That's gonna be my pop culture one later. Okay. Uh, you can buy it on YouTube. I think it's like five bucks to own it or something like that, or maybe it's three dollars. It, it's cheap. I, yeah, so yeah. good. Okay, so I'll have good. to check it out. Um, so yeah, it's pony. It's basically about yeah SMU in the 1980s and like how they got caught and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so black market. So uh, this will be good. We can kind of mix this with other stuff. So inefficiently low quantity is uh, the number one predictable well, side effect. Well, that, there's yeah, and that. There's that. Um, there's plenty of athletes who will play, though. So, I mean, I so, guess you could you could essentially argue that if you're paying athletes, yes, you're definitely going to like the top ones are obviously worth it. But maybe you don't bring on as many walk-ons or practice squad it could players. Be. It could be um, because they're not, you know, they're not actually on the field during game day. So my thought process, and maybe you can tell me if I've been teaching my students wrong for, you know, 15 years before when I was doing this. When I, the... Um, I would have the thought process. So if you're, you're a school and you want to recruit the top athletes and you are not allowed to pay them, mm-hmm. um, but you, you still want to recruit them. So you have to, what can you offer them instead? Well, if that's, if it's the case that you cannot give them money, you need to try to give these top athletes um, 
value and return. And what is the value would be world-class coaching, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if yeah. an athlete's coming to you, they want to come to go to the pros mm -hmm. and therefore they're, I would expect you would see artificially high coaches salaries in a market where you can't pay players. Absolutely. And, and so we, we would hear, and we're at colleges and uh, I'm at a division three, so it's not, it's not the same, but you know, I'm at a university and you know, anything with a division one, of course, the highest paid person on the campus usually isn't the university president. It's either the football or the basketball coach. Mm -hmm. Unless they have a med school and then maybe there's a chance. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's one of the um, doctors. But yeah, no, it, you, you basically, all that excess rent, if it can't go to the players, yeah. it goes into the facilities. Correct. Only, That's another like, one, right? Yeah, like, right? like you can only have facilities, yep. but you can't update it every year. So like, Right. Like fine, you dump a bunch of money, you build slides and pools and all sorts of stuff. But then like eventually you got to spend it on something and they tend to spend it on coaches, yes. which to me will be an interesting thing with NIL coming out. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be a longer equilibrium. But let's say you're a school that's um, a top, maybe like top 40 type caliber school, not like the number one, but, you know, pretty good school, not an Alabama or mm -hmm. um Perhaps a Virginia Tech. Virginia, <laughs> Virginia Tech might be a good thing. A good one. I'm thinking Penn State just made a run in basketball. So I'm thinking Penn mm -hmm. State basketball. And they, they made the tournament. Would we expect their coaches at these schools to be paid a bit less? Because donors will stop shoveling quite as much into the programs, and they'll shovel a little bit more towards funding NIL deals. I To me, it makes a little bit of sense, especially basketball. Would you rather spend... Six million dollars on a coach, or would you rather spend a million dollars a coach on a coach and a hundred and a million dollars on five different players if you could just pay them outright? Yeah, it, I, I don't know, but in theory, the coaches' salaries were inflated and they should fall in the next decade at least fall relative to what they would have been. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that, and especially I, I would be really curious which coach will be the first coach to give up some of their salary to get a player. Um, right. You think about somebody who's made, if you're a coach making $3 million and you know, you can give up half a million to secure a number one draft pick. Would you give up half a million dollars to help yourself win a championship? Um, the answer would be yeah. no, if you only make half a million dollars, but if you're one of those coaches that's making $5 million, $6 million a year, every year, Yep. And you live in the middle of Pennsylvania, your cost of living is not that high. Um, that's where I'd be really curious is like, I think, I think you're right. I think long-term, I think you'll see some of that donor money start to switch, especially as universities start to help facilitate the NIL stuff. Sure. I think it makes it way easier for donors to put money towards that sort of uh, space. I, I could see it. I, I could yeah. definitely see coaches salaries coming down. For sure. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see, but overall, I think it's I think it's mm -hmm. the right move. Largely, I as a general rule, if something interferes in free markets, I think there are one. I have an issue with kind of the freedom of people doing it, doing what they want to do, but also there tends to be just some negative side effects. Yeah. And so, so there's an I, opportunity. I'm very happy about the move, but um, it's also fascinating. There's a cool opportunity cost example too. So those are people who have teams with great players, you likely will have great teams for longer than what you're used to. Correct. Um, because if you're getting paid, you no longer have that incentive to jump immediately up to the pros or to 
and, you know, especially when I think about basketball stuff, right? Like going yep. over to Europe and playing basketball, like play another year and get paid here. Um, I'm really curious how that's going to change the dynamics of essentially team quality, where you now actually get a player who will stick it out the whole their whole time because they don't feel the need to go um, to move up. Sure. And so what that'll do for things like, yeah, overall that realistically all that does is it just makes the overall the the pro product better too because now your best players now have another year of experience before they make their way yeah. up. Yeah, suppose you were going to be the 15th pick in the NBA, right? That's millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But if you can get an NIL deal worth uh, $1.5 million, and then maybe mm-hmm. you take out a little bit of insurance, maybe you take 50000 to to 100000 of that to do insurance, where if you get hurt, you get a buyout, all of a sudden, okay, maybe you're costing yourself a little bit, but you like college ranks and maybe you're not costing yourself much because yeah. maybe the next year you come in and you're the fourth overall pick and yeah. but it's tough to turn that down that guaranteed money right away especially yeah. so what i what i would like to see change that i think would help it would help i really do think it would help everyone involved and not just like a help you at your university i really wish athletes were allowed to have agents uh college athletes Um, and I understand like that was part of that line of like, oh, you're hiring an agent. You're now a professional. I, I believe they need an advisor who is, uh, who is responsible to the player and not to the university. Cause right now athletes have, they have advisors coming from universities, but the universities have an incentive to keep that player another year. And that may not necessarily be the best thing for somebody financially. And so it's frustrating to think of like that question about like, you know, my 15th pick or a fourth pick having an agent who can help you with that to say like, here's what your contract's expected to be here are teams that are interested. Um, I believe that a, and I, I always take it back to a fairness idea between academics and athletics as a student. If I was a student and I wanted to hire a personal tutor to help me manage grad school and where I was going, that's perfectly legal. There's nothing that, you know, that person's leaving eventually and all sorts of stuff. You know, we have, we have academic coaches, perfectly fine. But when it comes to college athletes, we don't let them have an, an agent. And I think that's, I think that's wrong. Um, yeah. Just that's, because they, they don't have somebody who's, you know, personally tied to their success, not uh, the school success. That's a good point. I come hundred percent agree. I think yeah. that would be a valuable addition. So anything else to say on NIL before we go to the pop culture of the week? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to add one little comma because I think there might be people listening saying, well, how did you know, how is it fair to to value different athletes across different sports? And so I think it's at least worth bringing up uh, that I do not think that that is necessarily a problem. Uh, We do this in in all sorts of different avenues all the time. So this is I remember when I used to teach this, this was always one of the big uh, complaints against paying athletes. They said, well, how do you decide what a football player is worth versus a I'll use gymnasts or a golfer's worth, you know, football brings in revenue, but golf doesn't. So like, it's not fair, that sort of thing. Uh, And my argument was always, you know what though, I I bring in revenue for the university. Students come and I teach them. The janitor doesn't bring in revenue, but they're an integral part of the experience of being here. And just because somebody doesn't directly generate revenue doesn't mean that they're not worth something to the university. Uh, So my one caveat, and I always try to prepare myself when, when talking about paying athletes, um, is you can pay someone even if you don't directly see revenue from that person. Um, I think that's perfectly fine that we pay plenty of people in all sorts of industries. We pay yeah. them as support for 
the operation. And I, I think to paying them differently, the the argument I would take was there are markets that pay people differently. Mm-hmm. And you're in college and you're choosing a major and those majors mm-hmm. pay differently. And we we chose yeah. economics, which is higher than some fields, but it's a whole lot lower than, say, engineering, right? If you yeah. want to try to get, if you want to go into academia. I mean, and they're being, I mean, they're being bid on anyway with scholarships, right? We'll give you a half scholarship. We'll give you a quarter scholarship. Yeah. I mean, they're getting, they're, the players on the team currently don't all have the same scholarship as it is paying them differently, I think is perfectly okay. And I think realistically, this is where I, I really believe in like, right? Like the, the transparency of information is those salaries should be publicly available. Just like prof- if, if you're going to make professor salaries available, you should make athlete salaries available as well. So then an athlete knows, Hey, look, they don't pay. You know, if I'm a softball player, they don't pay their softball players as much as this other place is paying them. Um, and so th- yeah. I think that sort of bargaining negotiation should happen. I mean, it happens on scholarships already. I, I'm fine with people getting paid different amounts for the sports that they play. Yep. Um, so that, yeah, I always it, like to I like to drop that in there because I know people always like that's a that's a fighting point for a lot of don't pay them uh, people. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. And for those, you know, we're clearly on the same side on this issue. So if you disagree with us, shoot a line in the comments. We'd like we'd we'd love to hear from you. We like you know love a good love a good argument in good faith, right? I mean, if yeah. somebody's you know, saying so, you're an, you're an idiot, X, Y, Z. Okay. Um, no, but well, like, just remember, right? Say, hey, like, I think you're wrong. Yeah. And this is the, this is what I think. Yeah. Please, uh, please let you know, us if, know. If you're watching the NCAA tournament, just think of all the people that are watching, all the advertisers that are spending money, all the eyeballs that are on there. Um, and those athletes are for the most part getting a scholarship. They're getting, they are getting fed. You know, they have a dining yeah, plan yeah, that yeah. is much more generous than before. And some of them maybe can sell their name, but they're not going to get nearly as much money um, if they were allowed to do other things. That's so that's open market, correct? If it was an open market, right? They'd get paid a lot more. And I and I don't think it would change the structure of the game, yeah. not at all. I like, I there's people who love minor league baseball, and there's people who love major league baseball. Um, you know who doesn't get anything is high school football players, and you don't see people just driving all over the country to watch high school football. Uh, there's different levels and it's different experiences. I don't think paying them changes the yeah. the meaning of the game at all. Yeah. You'd mentioned uh, your pop culture reference. Do you want to elaborate uh, a little bit more on? Yeah, I'll do mine first. Mine, mine, mine's an easy one since I mentioned it earlier. Um, so ESPN 30 for 30. We've talked about it previously. I think when we talked about a different topic, we talked about broke. I'm trying to think yep, of what. Yep. yep. Um, Maybe I don't was, remember when we talked, what, what was the context for talking I about think broke, it was, but. Maybe a sports econ. Maybe we were just talking about sports yeah. econ. Um, so it's ESPN 30 for 30. They did a whole series of just like really cool sports events in history. Um, one of the episodes is called Pony Excess. Uh, it's about the Pony Express, the Southern Methodist uh, cheating scandal, where they basically shut down the program for like a year and a half. Uh, absolutely fascinating um, kind of look at, at what happened, what was going on, what are the repercussions of it. Completely rocked that program uh, for years. And so I believe I would imagine that Abdullah and Darshik uh, have that listed in their paper on teaching econ uh, using 30 for 30. Sure. I would imagine that they I'm fairly confident they do. Uh, but that's my pop culture one. It's just fascinating. It's got tons of really good stuff about markets and exchange and uh, really good, uh, really good just yep. sports and econ. 
I have one. I'm going to move away from sports, but it is timely. Uh, so season four of Secession is going to be dropping Sunday from when this episode drops. So it drops on okay. uh, Sunday, March 26th. And the first few seasons of it have so many good game theory examples. So I actually have a couple things that Foundation for Economic Education ran going through a couple economic examples, but um, there are some game theory examples. But I'm excited to watch that largely just to see what new is in there. But Mm -hmm. just from a classic prisoner's dilemma to something that's not often talked, I mean, in principles of economics, you don't have enough time to get into this. But when I teach the upper level game theory, it's not like it's a topic, but throughout the class, several times we'll talk about how spite matters. And okay. when you're thinking about, about today, <laughs> yeah, when you're thinking about the payoffs mm-hmm. of something, it's not always just the money, right? You know, yeah. it could be um, the value of spite and oh, backward induction, beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. So and bargaining yeah. and there's so many good things. So it's a great series. I have a I have a couple YouTube videos talking through a couple of those and then the fee articles and we can put those in the description. But Secession, it's a. Uh, pretty fascinating series if you haven't started it start with the beginning and if you're like me it took about three or four and you were almost ready to give up and then all of a yeah. sudden you couldn't stop watching but it's a uh, i think it's pretty it's on hbo right hbo it's hbo okay. correct yep. yep well any closing thoughts no but i will tell you um this is the strangest kolsch i've ever had uh but it was actually it's pretty good um i think some of this is just it's a weird kolsch because i got a kolsch out of a bottle and maybe that's all it is, but yeah, it's been good. My, the hazy bones, hazy IPA is clearly pretty good because mine is gone. So to finish this real fast then. Yeah. Well, uh, great chatting with you, Jadrian. Thank you to that everybody awesome. for tuning in. Uh, love it. If you could leave us a comment, uh, share with a, share with a friend, if you like it, tell us what you would like to hear next. We are running out of, we have lots of ideas, but we are running out of ideas that we think you want to hear. Uh, so if you tell us what you want, we will make an episode especially for you and we will talk about you the entire time. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to hear Matt and I talk about what we want to talk about. That, that is true. That is true. <laughs> so. Well, Jadrian, until the next time. Awesome. Cheers. cheers.